It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Kyle Krabs here, host of Locked On NFL Scouting. Join Joe Marino and me every day as we provide position-by-position analysis of the upcoming NFL Draft. Check out the Locked On NFL Scouting podcast with the Draft Dudes on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. It is the Locked On Bengals podcast with your host, Joe Goodberry and Jake Lisko. Find us on Twitter at Joe Goodberry and at Jake underscore NFL. Please like, subscribe, and share as we try to grow this community and pump out daily Bengals content just for you. Welcome into the Lockdown Bengals podcast, Bengals fans. We're sorry we're a day late. It's Mock Draft Monday on the Lockdown Bengals podcast. Remember, though, to tune in in your car by telling your smart device to play podcast Lockdown Bengals to keep, we'll keep you company on your drive to work. That's what we're here for, really. And we heard from some of you that you missed out on our lovely voices on your drives to work. I usually drive to work in silence anyways. I thought you usually, well, never mind. Uh, (laughs) Jumping right into some news before we get to Mock Draft Monday in earnest. Obviously, last week, uh, around the time we were recording, actually just after Joe and I stopped recording and got the podcast submitted for publishing, the Lou Anarumo news went public. And like I said last week, I was expecting this move fairly quickly once he came into the building. And it did. And uh, so check out uh, on Cincy Jungle, John Sheeran wrote up a great coaching profile on Anarumo that has a very exhaustive history of where he's been, how he came up through the ranks. And on Cincy Jungle, there's a user who did a fan post that I thought was pretty cool that I thought I'd highlight here. His name, his username anyway, is Bengal Jack. And he just took a look at the stats in the 12 games that Anarumo coordinated in Miami after Kevin Coyle was fired. And he highlighted some improvements in the run defense and in the pass rush specifically. The Miami run defense that year was giving up 160 rushing yards per game under Kevin Coyle. And when Anarumo took over, that went down to 108 rushing yards per game, which would have been good for 10th in the NFL in 2018. In 2018, Cincinnati gave up 137 rushing yards per game. So if Anarumo can have a similar effect, if this was indeed Anarumo's effect and not just, you know, there's a coaching change, so let's get everything, you know, there's their performance jumps often when that happens, then perhaps the rush defense improves. And in addition to that, uh, the sacks per game went up by about 2 to 2.3 sacks per game. That's not great. That's about the same as Cincinnati was in 2018, but it's certainly an improvement over 0.25 sacks per game that they were averaging before Anarumo took over. Joe, I was talking to you, I was saying, you know, seeing that he's coached under Coyle, he's got the familiarity with those Cincinnati systems. I'm kind of expecting some sort of Zimmer-like defense. What do you think we can expect? Yeah, and just thinking of uh, some of the comments he made on Friday after he was hired or after it was announced, uh, four-man front, and sounded like he will rely on coverage more than blitzing, but we'll like to mix up the front a little bit to give different looks. He even mentioned a five, you know, uh, five man defensive line, which could just mean 
you've got four guys eligible to rush and you, you, you try and disguise it a little bit for the defense or for the offense. All makes sense. All good things. Um, there's everything you want to hear from that situation. So uh, largely, it's hard to really tell. Anytime a position coach with very limited coordinator experience gets hired or elevated into a new position, we're going off of hope and faith that they hired the right guy. This is this counselor Zach Taylor too doing the same exact thing. Uh, Brian Callahan also has coordinator position. So they really went with inexperience in the hopes of, uh, you know, get, hitting the big one, I guess, or getting the right guys that, that'll gel together and mesh together and give them the results they're looking for. So until we get there, really, there's nothing, I think, that it's too radical that we really have to look at this roster and say, well, this guy doesn't fit, that guy doesn't fit. I don't think any of that applies. I think we just move forward as as we are and the guys that were successful in, in this previous scheme should continue to be successful in the next. Yeah, and I did listen to the raw interview with Anna Rumo, which is over at the Cincinnati Inquirer's website. Paul Daner has the audio from that interview, and there were a bunch of good questions, interesting questions asked. Uh, if you're interested in the highlights of that, I also tweeted the highlights to me in a thread on the 21st last week. Uh, a couple of interesting notes from that I'll highlight here. Paul Daner asked Anarumo about the kind of hybrid safety role, bringing a safety and kind of playing him at linebacker, alluding, I think, to Landon Collins. And Anarumo did not mention Collins by name, uh, kind of didn't really answer the question, actually, and started talking about leadership instead uh, in terms of who's calling the plays and that sort of thing. So I thought that was interesting that he didn't talk about Landon Collins and the experience he had coaching him in New York. A couple other things that were interesting. He talked, like Joe said, he talked about multiple fronts. He like every defensive coach, it seems like talks about stopping the run as a first priority. I thought it was interesting. He admitted that he wasn't very aware of the Bengals roster and has some work to do there to figure out kind of what he's working with. He he obviously knows Carlos Dunlap, uh, Geno Atkins, and he mentioned Drake Kirkpatrick. But I imagine once he watches the tape on William Jackson and Jesse Bates, some of these some of these other young guys. It'll be it'll be interesting to see what he thinks of the roster, and, and I, I think he doesn't know it yet, so he doesn't really know. When when Cat Terrell asks, "Are you coming in with a, a scheme that you're committed to, or is it kind of going to be a result of of what you see on the roster?" Anna Rumo said, "You know, I, I I don't really know yet. It'll be a combination of both. He's falling into line with Zach Taylor and talking about maximizing the strengths of the players on the roster. So that's, uh, you know, that they're on the same page there with communication and." Uh, Dave Lapham also asked one other question about offenses are taking a lot from the college ranks right now in the NFL. Are you prepared to do that on the defensive side of the ball? And Anarumo seemed open to it as, you know, he said, you kind of have to be at this point to keep up. Yeah. And that makes sense, especially the, the point about uh, him needing to learn the current Bengals roster and personnel. And that's huge in anything you're going to do. You it, if I, a Bengals fan right now can spot off every player on the defense, but if I told you to uh, design a good defense for the Dallas Cowboys, and that's a well-known team, you'd struggle a little bit right off the jump of, oh, well, you know, they've got this guy, that guy. You can name the Geno Atkins and the Carlos Dunlap of that team, but would you know the next group's strengths and weaknesses and where they should be put and, and what they did well and what they didn't do well? It would take some time to learn this. And uh, for, for Anna Rumo, it's going to, that's a process, but he doesn't have a lot of time because quickly they're jumping to the NFL scouting combine this week. And from there, free agency is just a couple weeks after that. So it's a quick, quick turnaround. It's why you don't want to wait this long normally to 
to fill this position because it's a uh, it, it we're full speed ahead at this point. Yeah, and, and there's no positional coaches in place yet either, like we talked about just before we started recording. And so that's more work for him. It's him and two defensive backs coaches. So it's really three defensive back coaches and three quarterbacks coaches doing all the work. Yeah, and that's you got to think one of them is a linebackers coach, and uh, that's a big need for the team. So you've got you know a hole to fill before you can even fill a hole. Holes on holes on holes. Speaking of holes, Hobson's mailbag this week, last week. Sorry, Jeff. I don't think you're a hole. That is not what I meant. But in your mailbag, you mentioned, uh, I I thought thought it was noteworthy that you said you don't think that the Bengals are going to bring in any tier one free agents. You're talking about them bringing in the second wave guys. Uh, So to me, that probably means no Landon Collins. He was an all pro two years ago. Joe mentions that, you know, maybe, maybe his tape wasn't as good last year. He, you know, was playing a different role. Maybe he is still on the table. I think he's a big enough name that, you know, he might sign early. I don't know. It'll be interesting to see. Uh, He also mentions that they're expecting extensions for AJ Green, Tyler Boyd, William Jackson thinks that those will be priorities for them continuing the pattern of retaining their own guys and not opening their wallet for unrestricted free agents from other teams. And Boyd and Jackson make sense for extensions. Uh, and usually Jeff Hobson's on this pretty, pretty well. And mentioning AJ green, I think is a relief, even though I think everyone would like to sign AJ green. So I'm hoping this isn't coming from that perspective of, yeah, we'd like to, but they think they can get something done because as we talked about in previous podcasts, Third contracts for receivers just don't happen. We should expect a drop in production at this point. He's already had a drop in production due to injuries. And because of it, you see a drop in salary. And usually it's hard for that player and and the the current team to come to that agreement and move on and and try and move from him being the focal point to being a piece of this offense. And if if they can get past it and, and, and keep him here for the next haul, I'm, I think we're both hundred hundred percent for it. But if, you know, they can't see eye to eye on those issues, then we can understand why they, they'd be forced to move on. So we'll maybe find out some more. The league new year starts in March. We'll get through the combine first. That's the exciting thing for us to watch as fans this week. And then shortly after that, we're into free agency in earnest. We're going to take a quick break and then we'll come back and talk about the draft. We'll get into mock Monday. We'll review the mocks around the internet. There's one out there that in particular, I think is a bit of a nightmare scenario. And we'll start with that one. Are you talking about my mock for the athletic? (laughs) We'll be back after a few seconds. If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Welcome back to the Locked On Bengals Podcast. It is Mock Draft Monday. We're excited. You're excited. The first one we want to look at from around the internet of mock drafts is the Draft Network's Trevor Sykema. 
He did a seven-round Bengals mock, and he started in the first round with Cody Ford, who's a tackle guard from Oklahoma. Uh, I think he's a name we will be aware of throughout this entire process. Some really like him as a mauler, nasty-type run blocker who maybe doesn't have the athleticism or the, or the light feet of a, of a tackle or even the length and size of a tackle at times. Uh, so I think we have to wait for the combine to see arm length, different things like that, just to make sure, because I think a lot of people are going to be heavy on that and say, well, he's a guard. And if he has a guard, Bengals could use one anyways. And I think a lot of teams that could use a guard, he's probably the top guard unless Jonah Williams is playing that position. Uh, and so I don't have a problem with this. I think you'd find a spot for him, whether that's right guard or right tackle for Cody Ford. Uh, pick of mine that I love for Trevor Sikama, I think we've we've drafted him, Jake, you and I, in our own mock draft Monday mocks. I've tried to get him as many times as I could in the second round. If he's still there, Devin Bush, middle linebacker out of Michigan, is a slam dunk home run pick. I mean, it makes feeling you know like you didn't get one of the better tackles in in, in the draft, and number one, feeling much better about taking Devin Bush in round two. And because of it, uh, I would love this start to the draft because I think Bush is a home run plug-and-play middle linebacker who's only 5'11", 225, but that thick body and power that he comes downhill with, plays hard, um, powerful run stuffer. He's sideline to sideline, even though I don't think he's going to test as a tremendous athlete. He's not going to be a Devin White or anything like that. Uh, he may not even may not even be Mac Wilson at, uh, in terms of athleticism. So I expect... Bush to be the third linebacker taken, and there's a chance he's there at 42, and Sycamore has him going to the Bengals. Uh, followed up the next next three picks, he has Dawson Knox, a tight end, Antoine Wesley, wide receiver, and Ben Burkirvin, a linebacker. So it really double dips at linebacker, grabs a tight end, which, which is a position of need, and grabs a receiver, which I think we both have agreed they could use some depth and so that we don't run into the situation they ran into last year. Jake, what do you feel about this draft? I love the first two picks. I think that uh, in the third round for a tight end, Dawson Knox isn't my favorite fit there just because he is pretty raw. He was arguably underused in college, and when he was used, he was running vertical stuff. So there's not a bunch of tape on him as far as I know. Uh, so I, I would personally, if we're, if we're going for a third round tight end, I mean, we've talked about this on the show. These guys are generally d- developmental. They're going to need time before they're major contributors. That said, there's still probably going to be other guys on the board there that have a little bit more refinement to their game, a little bit more experience, and offer similar athleticism. Uh, Antoine Wesley in the fourth round is a guy that I really like. I, I played with the Draft Network's new mock draft tool, which we're going to do our own mock today and later. Um and I picked Antoine Wesley in the fourth as well. He is a highly productive one-year wonder kind of guy out of the Texas Tech air raid offense, but compared to the other receivers in that air raid offense, he was the top producer. So that tells me that he's got the market share analytics kind of stuff that we're probably after. And he has most of the skill set that you're looking for too. The one knock on him is probably that he doesn't have a highly developed route tree and he's not necessarily he prefers to kind of bring it in over the shoulder instead of attacking it at the high point so that could be a, a coaching point for him as well uh Ben Burkirvin in the fifth at this point you know you're getting a guy you're taking it you're taking a swing Burkirvin was a highly productive linebacker in college who we don't expect to have the athleticism 
So we'll see, you know, we'll see how he tests the combine. I think if he does surprise people with the combine, he'll probably go higher than the fifth on the strength of his production and then projecting that athleticism. But I don't think that that is much of an expectation. Yeah. And I think it's, I struggle to start to have targets in the third through the seventh round, to be honest at this point, because I think it's largely based on um, picking you know, we talked on the last podcast, I think it was Thursday, and so I'm losing my train of thought because I'm thinking of that one. We talked about how to apply analytics, and especially when it comes to draft time, and there's production analytics, and there's there's athleticism analytics, and then there's the tape, obviously. But you want all three, but all three, if you have all three, you're going to go in the top two rounds more than likely. You may even go first round completely. So once you get into the third through seventh round range, you may only have one of those of those three you may you probably only have two so for me we have incomplete information for the athleticism so right now we're banking off of production and tape and it's hard for me to really start to separate these guys until i know that third part which is the athleticism so like ben burkirvin the tape looks fine because he's highly productive he's in on a lot of plays and the production obviously shows that he high tackle share and you know obviously this guy it you know, looks like he knew what he was doing and, and got to a lot of plays because of it. But you really expect his athleticism, athleticism scores to be poor. And if they are, he's going to go in the fifth round. If he even tests average, I think he's going to slide up boards uh, a lot. And I think of like Chris Trapasso from CBS Sports, he loves Ben Burkirvan. And he thinks he's going to test better. He thinks he wouldn't be surprised if he's second, third round type linebacker and if that's the case then getting him in the fifth year is tremendous value but obviously we're still missing that third part of the phase and that's where I struggle to really people send me mocks all the time especially on Twitter grade my mock and really I'm just grading those first three-ish rounds because after that I feel we're still in the incomplete phase yeah and and it's worth noting here a lot of these are quote-unquote final pre- pre-combine mocks so the ones we're talking about today people are publishing just before the combine starts probably as you're listening to this there are players getting in to see doctors in indianapolis and starting to spread their arms to get their wingspans measured or whatever they do uh, stepping on scales and stuff so we'll talk a little bit about the combine schedule as well the next mock we're going to talk about though is john ledyard who is also part of the Lockdown Network, actually. So if you wanted to check out the Lockdown NFL Draft podcast, if you're really into the NFL Draft and you want to get a feel for, you know, daily what's going on in the NFL Draft world, that's a good one to check out. Uh, Yesterday, Monday, John and Trevor Sikama from the Draft Network were on together and they worked their way through a mock draft on the podcast. But on the website... Uh, again, the Draft Network, John published a mock, and he has the Bengals going with Jonah Williams, taking him over Kyler Murray and Ed Oliver. He has TJ Hawkinson, Cody Ford, Devin White, and Jawan Taylor all drafted. And this is the highest I've seen Jawan Taylor and Devin White. He has them going at three and four. Yeah, that would be especially high. I think we've seen White go to the Raiders before. Uh, I want to say Chris Trapasso again had that a, a couple weeks ago, but definitely Taylor, the highest I've seen him, I wanted to say was Buffalo at nine. Uh, but yeah, I guess, you know, if he ends up going top five, it's because he, he tests well, but I, I think he, he isn't going to do a lot of work. I, I believe um, Dane Brugler has him with a, a hamstring and so he won't take part of the physical uh, portion of the combine. So 
I think it'd be hard for Taylor to get up that high. He does have a pro day, so he'll have his chance then. But just in this, I, I guess as I'm saying it, I remember a bunch of people did say they think he's tackle number one, and and we've seen Jonah Williams go that high in some mocks, go top five. I've definitely seen it. So I guess if if you swap Taylor in that position and Jonah Williams falls a little bit, then that makes sense. Yeah, I think there's a growing dichotomy I'm observing on Twitter amongst those draft voices that I follow and, uh, you know, trust when it comes to offensive line stuff. There's an interesting split between the Jawan Taylor guys and the Jonah Williams guys. And so we'll have to see how that plays out. I think the combine looking at Jonah Williams arm length is going to be huge for a lot of people. So, you know, we'll, we'll see how that goes. This not, None of this is out of the ordinary for me, I think. Uh, having Hawkinson... And uh, Cody Ford in the top 11 is interesting. But again, you know, landing on a quarter or sorry, landing on a tackle, seeing Ed Oliver in the mix too around the same part of the draft. Like that's what we've seen pretty consistently. That's what we expect. And we'll have to see how they all test because this is all assuming they test as they appear to test on tape. Yeah. And, you know, to get to John's pick for the Bengals, it's Jonah Williams. And I don't think anyone would be mad about that at all. He, coming from Alabama, he's coached well. They they run very um, NFL-ready system, especially blocking schemes. Uh, he's a plug-and-play starter. I'm not sure if that's guard or tackle. I'm not sure if it's right tackle or left tackle. I think you find a spot for him, and he probably plays four out of, four out of five spots and will eventually be one of the leaders of your offensive line. So I've got no problem taking Jonah Williams. In fact, I would – Say they start their draft with an with an A plus grade of filling a, a a need position with a premium player, or at least a player I think will be a premium guy. Yeah, he's he's one of those guys that you can see starting maybe his career guard, moving out to tackle, could have an Andrew Whitworth trajectory to him. Right, that's you know probably the best case, right? Yep. Our next mock here is from Dan Kadar, SB Nation, mocking the draft. He has a three round mock. He has the Bengals landing Juwan Taylor, who we just talked about. Uh, this is with Jonah. Williams, Hawkinson, and Devin White off the board. So makes sense. The only guy I'd, I'd be interested in was uh, is Ed Oliver there at that point. And then, again, we're coming back. We're getting Devin Bush in round two. This is becoming a more and more popular pick. And if that's the case, really, I think Devin Bush is, De- I mean, Devin Bush is the key to Bengals fans coming off of Devin White a little bit because we've been locked in on Devin White for so long because he's a, probably a blue chip off-the-ball off the linebacker prospect at a need position. And taking or, or or coming to the realization that Devin Bush could be there at round two with all these mocks, I think that'll allow fans to be like, okay, I can relax on Devin White in round one and open my eyes to a tackle or tight end or quarterback or whatever the, whatever way the Bengals go. And then Kadar has them going to the third round now, so we've we've taken off um, tackle and linebacker off the list of needs. He goes quarterback in round three, and I'm open to that, especially if it went the way it went right here. He has them going Ryan Finley, and it's one pick after Will Greer goes. But to me, you know, I if you swapped that and said that was Will Greer, this would be A-plus first three rounds. To me, I don't like Finley at all. I think he, uh, he is erratic, and I think he, he – he, when I watched him, I didn't see any uh, trait that really said to me, this guy's going to develop into a NFL starter. It would have to be a complete surprise for me being a third round pick, especially we're talking, you know, top 10 picks or so in the third round that he's going to end up being a, even a Dak Prescott. I don't even think he ends up being a solid baseline starter. I think at best he is a career backup. So that's, that's too early for me, maybe by two rounds. Yeah, this one's 
kind of interesting, right? Like there's two scenarios that are starting to play that that are starting to play out, and all of these have the Bengals going tackle that we've talked about so far, and so is the next one, which is a nightmare scenario. But the other side of that is if they get Devin White in the first, if one of those second tier guys fall, the the Dalton Reisner tier guys fall to them in the second round, then you're probably just as happy. You have a most likely a day one starter if it's if it's not the guy we're about to talk about, maybe. Um, and then you get Devin White too. So you're kind of getting both worlds. To talk about something uncommon that may not make Bengals fans very happy, I I really like Mike. He writes for the Bleacher Report, Mike Taniers or Mike Tanier. I'm not sure if it's a French name. Uh, I, I generally like his reading. He started at Football Outsiders, I believe, and then started going, writing for the Bleacher Report. So in his mock, he has Devin White off the board at five to Tampa Bay, Ed Oliver at six to New York, uh, a bunch of edge rushers. Jonah Williams goes nine to Buffalo. And then for the Bengals, he, he's on Yadni Kajust. And so we're, we're sticking at tackle. He doesn't even have Jonah Williams in the, or sorry, um, Jawan Taylor in the first round. And instead, we, we land on potentially Cedric Abwehi 2.0. And here's the thing with Kajust is he's going to be more athletic than those guys that, that you mentioned, especially with Taylor. And if the Bengals want to go full zone blocking system, they may see the athleticism as the defining trait that they're looking for at tackle. Uh, but having said that, I think you still have to draft a good player. And when I watch Kajust, I think he is too soft, too late, and... Um, often beat because he's giving up too early within the play. You know, there there's so many phases to pass protection especially, but even in this, is, this includes run blocking because you have to stay on your block, finish the play. I mean, there's many times even in run blocking where he moves his guy initially, tries to regain hand positioning as, as the guy's fighting back, and then kind of lets loose and, and lets the guy go, only for that guy to shed him and make the tackle. Uh, and then same happens in pass protection too. Or I feel like because Will Greer tries to extend plays, tries to make things happen, it's almost once that third phase starts coming, Kajust is kind of like, okay, I've done my job. This guy's kind of pushed into me or the or the quarterback's getting flushed a little bit. I can kind of let him go. And those aren't – listen, if, if you win on those first two phases, I can like you. But Kajust has a lot more issues than that. And – for me, I think this would be an extremely risky pick. I don't even think he's a first-round guy. I wouldn't take him in the second round. If he was if he was the best tackle remaining, and he has been when I've done mocks at 42, I'm not interested in Kajust. I don't think he ends up being the type of tackle you want to be your, uh, your starter in the NFL just because I think he's too much of a swing or miss, home run or strikeout type blocker, and that is a dangerous thing to have uh, on the edge of the offensive line. So for me, uh, this would start off – this is this is nightmare scenario for them because we looked at the next 15 picks or so in this mock and um, there was a lot of players. I mean, most of those guys we take. I don't care what position it is. I take Drew Locke, and you know I'm not a big fan of Drew Locke. But I think this would be a a one of those scenarios where they don't learn from Cedric Oboye and take a guy that has some of the same issues. And because of it, uh, I guess we could see it happen because they've done it before. But at the same time, you really hope it doesn't. So that's probably all we'll say about that one. That is a scenario that's out there, though. And so it's worth mentioning because, you know, the NFL draft is a very unpredictable thing. So this week, overall, not a lot of new names. The Internet expects the Bengals to draft a tackle for the most part. There are a few people that still think that they're going to draft Devin White. 
And then there are the one-offs that have them drafting guys like Ed Oliver and TJ Hawkinson. Nobody's talking about cornerbacks. Nobody's talking about edge rushers. Very few people are talking about quarterbacks. The combine's coming up. We'll start to be able to track who the Bengals are talking to in their 30-minute interviews, who they're bringing in for private workouts. And Joe, you're one of those one-offs that has the Bengals looking at TJ Hawkinson. You just published something today. That's right. I posted my first mock draft for the Athletic this year. I I, I was reminded of my first last year. I had them taking Justin Reed, safety out of Stanford, um, which is kind of funny because they – had a position, they had a chance to take him in the second round, and they took Jesse Bates. And uh, someone reminded me of that, how off I was there. But, of course they will. That's what the comments are for, right? Anyways, I had them taking TJ Hawkinson in the first round. And I used a fan speak mock, just like we've done on here, to allow it to, the board to play out so I don't end up in a scenario where I say, well, I'm going to take this guy in the third, fourth round, because I did a seven-round mock. So just because I haven't taken Hawkinson, I want you guys to go read, look at the other ones. I've got clips for each guy from other people around the draft community, um, so you can get a little bit familiarized with each guy. And I, I talked through my process with each pick, gave a little blurb with each guy, and I think I nailed it, to be honest with you. Uh, some of these guys aren't going to be well-known, but there's someone like Hamp Cheevers I got in the sixth round, who's a corner from Boston College, 5'10", 180, and when you watch him, he is a bulldog, man. He's tiny, but he hits people constantly. He's fighting for every scrap. He's fighting for every ball, every every tackle in the run game. Um, the man is just, he's exactly what you want there. And I think he's a, he's a an eventual starting nickel corner. I'm surprised he's still there in the sixth round. But then I start looking at rankings afterwards, and a lot of people have him as a day three pick. Uh, he had seven interceptions this past year. he's got the ball skills, he's feisty, he'll hit. I really want to see how he'll measure and run, and I think that'll elevate his draft stock if he does perform well at the Combine. Uh, But a lot of these guys I picked, I hope you guys click on the videos and watch and and see every player or or dig in just a little bit more because uh, each one of them, every time I was there, especially in the sixth round, having five picks, the compensatory picks that we expected the Bengals to get, they did get them. So there's a lot of six-rounders. If they don't use those to move up, Man, it felt like I w- it was Christmas in the sixth round because I'm like, yep, give me that guy. Give me that receiver. Give me that uh, running back. I just, every pick, I felt like it was a guy that I really, really liked. And so it ended up being a very best-case scenario mock. Even even though I started with a tight end in the first round, I was able to come back second, third, fourth round and get players at key positions that I think could develop into starters, if not faces of this franchise. So look out for that on The Athletic. Also on The Athletic, if you do subscribe, if you don't subscribe, you should subscribe so you can read Joe's stuff. Uh, There's also Dane Brugler published a very lengthy and in-depth guide to the 2019 Scouting Combine, which I think is fantastic. I had a chance to read part of it. Didn't get through all of it before the podcast, but it's great. I would highly recommend that. And like Joe said, a couple notes that have come out today, not necessarily from Dane, but might be included in that article Jawan Taylor has a hamstring strain, according to Dr. Andrews, and uh, he won't be taking part in the physical portion of the combine. Nick Bosa, however, will be a full participant, which doesn't really matter for the Bengals, but does matter if you generally care about Ohio State and the NFL draft. I talked about the fact that the combine's probably going on by the time you guys are listening to this. On Tuesday, February 26th, Uh, specialists, offensive linemen, and running backs will be starting with their medicals and their interviews, and they will be weighing in and getting measured out on Wednesday. So 
For the offensive line in particular, that will be very interesting for the Bengals. The running backs are always fun to watch just because of the amount of athleticism at that position. So that is starting tomorrow, today, whenever you're listening to this. And the last thing that I wanted to talk about, Joe, before we get into our mock, the last segment, as always, we do our own mock. Daniel Jeremiah and Todd McShay have Baker Mayfield, Sam Darnold, Drew Rosen, Josh. Josh Rosen. Confusing him with the MLB agent. Josh Rosen. Drew, Drew Rosenhouse. Josh yeah. Rosen's agent. Yeah. Yeah. Not close. Uh, has has all three of those guys ranked ahead of Dwayne Haskins and, and and Kyler Murray. I don't know how I feel about that. Uh I liked Rosen. I didn't like Darnold. For me, I had Mayfield one, I had Rosen two. Uh so for me I would it's hard to not think of Rosen and how poorly he performed on a terrible Cardinals team last year, obviously, but it's hard to wipe that out of your mind. It's hard to take out that Mayfield had a fantastic rookie year. So with that in mind, uh, I would still probably see for me, I haven't decided on Haskins and Murray yet either. I really, even though I think we know Murray's uh, height and weight, I still want to see it officially because he's going to be an outlier and I have to test myself to see how comfortable I feel with that. So for me, I'd probably have it Mayfield, Rosen, Haskins, Murray at this point. Uh, And then Darnold after them, honestly, because I I just wasn't a fan of Darnold. I thought he was too much Ryan Fitzpatrick trying to make things happen when he didn't have, you know, all of the traits it takes to be, you know, when we look for, we look at Patrick Mahomes, we say, well, he can make these plays because He's athletic and he's got a cannon for an arm and can throw from any angle. Darnold tries to do a lot of those things, but is much more riskier. I think he's much more on the um, I think Jameis Winston path than he is the Pat Mahomes path. And for me, I like a guy who's a little bit safer or can make those calculated risks at the right time. So we'll see how it plays out in the combine in particular. I read today that Kyler Murray is putting on some weight, so we'll see what he weighs in at. That's a big concern for a lot of the draft Knicks around Twitter. I saw, I think it was, P, I think it was Mike, Mike Renner at PFF. I think he said today that if Murray couldn't throw, he'd be a great running back prospect. And if he couldn't run, he'd be a great quarterback prospect. That's fair because Murray is just a fantastic runner. I mean, as we were talking last week in the the comp, and you see a lot of people throw it as Mike Vick, and and then people will reply with, um, "Well, Vick was such a worse passer at the time, and yeah, it was 15, 18 years ago, and uh, everyone was a much worse passer that you know at that time." So it's uh, it's it feels like a new breed, but I think we've seen these parts before, and it's just that Murray has a lot of them in a smaller size, so he it makes it interesting to follow his career. Some very intriguing storylines as we get into the combine. But without further ado, well, a little bit more ado, we're going to take one more break here. And then we'll get into our own mock draft using the Draft Network's mock machine. Stick around for the most exciting part of the show. If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. 
If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Welcome back to the Locked On Bengals Podcast, Mock Draft Monday, Segment 3, as we have done for three weeks now. I think this is the third one. We are going to do a live mock and control the Bengals, and we're not going to use fan speak this week because this week the guys over at the Draft Network, that's thedraftnetwork.com, uh, they honestly have a great site. They're really pushing this out there. They've really taken this by storm and, and put a lot of work in there. You can tell they've got some good backers and investors in this website, and it's really pretty to look at not only, but they've got great people doing analysis. You can click on a player's profile and get three different write-ups on them by three different scouts. And, you know, it gives you the perspective of how everyone sees something different, but you can also make a judgment on which one you agree with or, or, you know, trust the most. So I really like their website. I've used it more and more recently. Jake, I know you do, and and you use use it. But since they've released their mock draft machine on Monday, if you're listening Monday or Tuesday, they released it. We can use it now. We decided to give it a run. there's no comp picks yet in their simulation, so we're we're only going to stop uh, after round five and wait for them to put those in before we try and do it, go any further. And I think it's a little early to go seven rounds anyways. So we're going to go five rounds, picking for the Bengals, number 11 overall. And we hit the button. Going from here, the usual names thrown off the board, from Quinnen Williams, Nick Bosa, Josh Allen, Greedy Williams, Ed Oliver, Rashawn Gary, Dwayne Haskins, Brian Burns, and then the last two picks, 9 and 10, two offensive tackles go off the board. Jawan Taylor to the Bills, Jonah Williams to the Broncos. Jake, how you feeling? I'm shook. My tackles are gone. Yeah, you take either one of those guys, right? Yeah, absolutely. And those are, the, those are really the two that I'm targeting at 11 if I'm looking at a tackle and on the Bengals. With them gone, at that point I'm looking, I don't probably draft Cody Ford depending on his arm length measurements. At 11, uh, because he he's most likely just going to be an interior guy. And I like the idea that Jonah could swing out to play tackle and he has the technique to maybe make up for the arm length concern. So at that point, I'm looking at who's left, and that's Devin White, the the tight ends, you know, the TJ Hawkinsons, uh, Clellan Farrell, the edge rusher from Clemson. And we've done the quarterback thing before. We did a quarterback last week, but Kyler Murray is there. And I think I'm higher maybe on Kyler Murray than than most of our listeners are. Yeah, and that's probably fair. Uh, I think general fan is scared to take a quarterback because of the idea that it'll tank your franchise if you miss. And if you have a steady or solid or known uh, piece at quarterback, which the Bengals do in Andy Dalton, it's hard to see them bypassing a no need position at, at tackle and at linebacker and so on for a, a, a not a guaranteed upside or not a guaranteed upgrade at, at, at quarterback. Even though I don't agree with that assessment, I think that's how they feel. Yeah. And since we've taken Kyler Murray once already, we're not going to do it this time. And we're going to go for the sake of let's do something different. Let's, uh, you know, put our thinking caps on and try and attack some of these need positions for the Bengals. And and just real quick before we talk about who we're gonna pick here, I wanna I, I had somebody ask me on Twitter, why are you so low on Andy Dalton? Why why do you why are you so anxious to replace him? And I wanna clarify that I'm not like super low on Andy Dalton. 
I just, you know, you recognize what he is, which is, uh, you know, he, he's, he's a pre-snap. He's very good pre-snap. He has average plus arm strength. We know what he is. He's a known quantity. He started to make some strides at the beginning of last year. We've talked about that a little bit on the podcast, and we'll see if that replicates itself with three quarterback coaches in the room. But I think Kyler Murray could be very special. So that's why I've been on Kyler Murray the way I have in these podcasts. Talking about what we're looking at here, we're not looking at Kyler Murray. We're not looking at Cody Ford. So that means we're looking at Devin White, I think, pretty long and hard. And I'm fine with it. In, in this scenario where Ed Oliver's gone, the two top tackles are gone, I am at that point, I you know, if the Bengals make this decision with Kyler Murray on the board, I will second guess it because I think that should be our job anytime they pass a quarterback that has potential to be better. And, and I, I don't think anyone would disagree Kyler Murray has the potential to be better than Andy Dalton. So uh, even if he ends up busting, his potential still was that he could do that. And so we would second guess it. But you'd have no problem giving them Devin White or them taking Devin White in this scenario if they didn't feel Kyler Murray was a franchise quarterback based on what they know. And they go in this. And if, if Murray wasn't on the board right now, it would be slam dunk, take Devin white and let's move on. What you're giving getting in Devin white is a athletic sideline to sideline run stuffer. And I say run stuffer first, because that's what they do at LSU. That's what they pride themselves on. That's what their first and second read is before they even get to the third. And they're already out of position on those play actions. So Devin white He's going to test fantastically. He's going to test like a like a monster. Honestly, I, if he runs a four four flat, don't be surprised. He's a super athlete. Uh, I think in coverage he is fine when he's in man coverage because he can match up athletically. I think he can get grabby at times in zone coverage. He's aware and uh, he reacts quickly to that. I've seen him toss guys out of bounds as quarterbacks break the pocket. I've seen him jump on multiple routes to take away uh, the way. Uh, the quarterback's progressing and and trying to go. So I think there are a lot of plays and coverage on tape, but he doesn't at the same time when he has one interception, he doesn't get his hand on a lot of balls and and he's in position, but he doesn't affect the play. So there's some upside still left for Devin White to reach as a, as a cover linebacker, but you're getting everything else in in that package besides that. How do you, how do you compare Devin White to Roquan Smith last year? Roquan was not as good of a run defender, but was much better in uh, in pass coverage and a much headier guy. Where I would say he was more of the Levante David type, where Devin White is more of man. I don't know if I've got a great example, but I think Devin White tends to be more of the Bobby Wagner. Where Bobby Wagner's been good in coverage, but it I think it took him a little bit longer to get to get to the point he's at. And I think White can get there, but uh, he's going to be a superb run defender first. So I'm happy with that. I'm taking Devin White here. We're gonna we're gonna hit select. We'll see who goes next. So Cody Ford, a couple more edge guys. A pretty big fall for Kyler Murray. We're near the end of the first round now, and he's still on the board. Devin Bush goes off the board at 29, unfortunately for us. Kyler Murray might make it. Oh, he goes at 37. Almost made it back to us. So now with uh let's see who's gone here. Kyler Murray goes 37. Hawkinson goes 30. Devin Bush goes 29. So we've got our linebacker. We're happy there. So now we're looking really offensive line. The the dagger here is Dalton Reisner went at 39. That's right. Uh, In real life, if he gets to 35, 
I'm willing to give up a third or fourth or whatever the value would be at this point to move up and go get him. What do you know about David Edwards from Wisconsin and Michael Dater also from Wisconsin? Yeah, both were, um, I want to say, at the Senior Bowl. Both looked very average, got beat consistently. Uh, Wisconsin is known for being technically proficient coming out. Uh, Again, I don't think – I think if you're taking them, you're hoping it's – you know, a guy that because he's proficient can start early, but otherwise it's nothing to get excited about. I think we missed the boat on tackle. Yeah. So this is where you say, I sure hope the Bengals sign somebody in free agency. And if they didn't, then maybe they have to be more aggressive in the draft at addressing that position because it is very important. Looking at interior linemen, Eric McCoy is somebody that the draft network's very high on from Texas A&M. He's 44th on their board. Played center for them, came out early. He was a graduate uh, as a junior, so he was able to participate in the Senior Bowl. He's the one that uh, our new line coach chewed out for declaring for the NFL draft. So we can probably take him off the board. Consider, but there are other interior O linemen uh, available in in the next round. Also, Elton Jenkins is one that I think is a plug and play, either center or guard. Man. Imagine this comes up and Duke Tobin wants to draft Eric McCoy and then he remembers, oh, crap, Jim Turner is my O-line coach. Well, I think they like I, – I, there's nothing – other than that, there's no reason to suggest that they don't have a good relationship. I think they could. I, I just think before Turner made it aware that he was leaving for the Bengals or maybe he didn't know but because he left a couple weeks after, uh, before he knew, he gave McCoy crap about leaving. Yeah. There's now, also – Sorry, yeah, go I was going to say, you, I, right where you were about to do, that I was going to do too. And there's two quarterbacks still on the board here. Uh, again, we're using the mock draft machine. This hasn't happened so much when using fan speak, but a little different process here. But Drew Locke and Daniel Jones are still available at this point. Uh, I think you would have to consider either guy. I like Jones a little bit more, but I love the upside in Locke. I think with his cannon arm and propensity to feel comfortable outside the structure of the offense. Uh, there is upside with him that's maybe still untapped. Yeah, and I'm, I'm, I I haven't seen enough of Drew Locke or Daniel Jones to really comment on either. I feel like a second-round quarterback pick when you have a second-round quarterback is, I don't know, it just feels like a waste of a resource to me. Uh, a safety that we drafted on FamSpeak in the third round, I think, a couple of weeks ago, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson is here. He's their, I think, second-ranked safety, third-ranked safety maybe. Irv Smith, the tight end from Alabama, is here as an intriguing option as well. Yep, I could get along with Irv Smith also. Um, honestly, I feel like if you had – that's funny. Uh, it, you know, if you had the vision or the foresight almost to know that you'd be left with the current players – you would definitely want to go up and get Reisner there or Noah Fant that went at 38, Kyler Murray at 37. So, you you know, it really sucks to see though that group of players go right before them. As I say here, if, if, we are not a, if we're not in agreement on a quarterback, which we're not, I don't want to take one. So, I, for me, I look at Irv Smith and think he's probably the best value at this point at a need position. Yeah. Also, Charles Amenahieu, I would be fine with. He, he went – at 40 right after Reisner that's another guy I would consider at this spot so we'll go with Irv Smith I don't think you know I mean he's he's a good he's a good tight end prospect if if Noah Fant and TJ Hawkinson weren't in the draft he'd be the top tight end prospect I I think that people were very excited about him going into this year and he had a good year at Alabama but 
for for some reason missing on Fant by three picks, four picks, and and missing on Hawkinson is, is, a, is a little bit of a letdown. But I, I'm happy enough with Irv Smith here, and we're gonna take Smith and get a lineman in the third round, God willing. Hopefully, yeah. And you know we're not gonna force it, but if there's an offensive lineman still available in the third, that's what we'll do. Um, yeah, and you know when you get an Irv Smith coming from Alabama. He's going to be able to play early, even though tight ends don't produce heavily that that first year. He's going to be able to contribute, and at the very least, that's a that's something the Bengals uh, should definitely want out of their early picks. Eric McCoy made it all the way to the Bengals' round three pick, interestingly. Yep. So Kajust went at 53. We passed on Yadni Kajust. We didn't even mention that he was available, I don't think, but he was. Well, that's because I'm not interested even in round two. Round right. three, yeah, I start to get interested. Sure. Tight so, end still available. I was just thinking because we took uh, we took Irv Smith last. There's Isaac Nauta still here, Jay Sternberger, and Dawson Dox, who Trevor Sikama had mocked to the Bengals in the third round. Any of these guys at offensive line looking interesting? Titus Howard. Yeah, Titus Howard is. He uh, was at the Senior Bowl, Alabama State. He, he played high school quarterback, and then he came to Alabama State as a tight end. He's athletic. Uh, moved to tackle as he gained weight. He's put on over 100 pounds in the last three years. And because of it, you can see he's still a little bit behind in the technical proficiency, but he is athletic, and he can move well, and his feet are good. His hands are just late and low. I think he's got some development there. Uh, One of the highlights of the Senior Bowl was him getting bull rushed on his butt and, and into the turf by Montez Sweat. But the play before that that wasn't shown was him taking sweat around the outside arc with just a, a, a nice long arm, post arm, uh, locking it in on him and driving him around the edge and burying him in, uh, behind the quarterback. So there is some upside with Titus Howard. I think you're not going to draft him and start him. We're at the point where you're not getting a starting tackle uh, in this draft right now. He may start in a year. He may be able to start halfway through the year. But at this point, we need to consider – there are starting guards and starting centers still in this draft. Do we take one of those guys? Do we go to interior defensive line and take one of those guys that can come in and rotate and play? Do we double dip at linebacker? Do we look for a nickel corner? I think at this point we need to be open to every position. Joe Giles Harrison, intriguing name at linebacker. If you wanted to double dip there for another productive guy who might have the athletic upside, it's hard to say, I think, with him. Voshan Joseph, the guy that people think has the athletic upside and maybe is too stiff. Maybe it's just long speed. Yeah, and I, one of the guys we've taken before, Jermaine Pratt, is still there. I like Drew Tranquil much lower. Ben Burkirvin's there still. Can we look at corner? Rocky Sin jumps out to me. Isaiah Johnson from Houston. What about interior defensive line? Jerry Tillery, very productive. Renell Wren is a nose tackle, but he's a little bit older. Kingsley Kiki. Kalen Saunders is the guy I would be about at this pick. Um, I think Kalen Saunders is a – he's played nose tackle. Uh, he He's there ranked 160, if you're wondering. Uh, he played nose tackle. He was at the Senior Bowl and was just completely dominant. And for me, um, I think third round is – Great value. I think he's probably worth a, a mid-second round pick. Also worth noting that Drew Locke and Daniel Jones are still there in the third round, which is wild to me because I've actually had a harder time finding fallers that I like in the mock draft machine on the draft network. And these guys, you 
some people have them going, you know, top 10, top 15. Do you? Well, they even have, they have Drew Locke ranked 19th overall on their board. So, you know, he definitely should have gone by now for whatever reason. Uh, So, I'm sorry, is this their rankings or is that different? Okay, so their rankings have him much lower. Yeah, but their so, board has them 19. Yeah, so the Draft Network does a predictive board, which is how they think NFL teams will behave in the draft, and then their own rankings, where they have him lower. But they think that NFL teams value him as a top 20 pick, and this is Drew Locke I'm talking about. And Daniel Jones they have as an early second-round pick. So that's why we haven't seen them go yet, is because they've got him ranked lower, it must be. So what do you want to do here? I don't know. It gets really difficult for me in these sorts of scenarios. We've got the tight end. We've got the linebacker. And if we didn't have those positions, I'm looking at Sternberger and Joe Giles-Harris, potentially. I'm looking at wide receiver a little bit. Andy Andy Isabella. Jerry Tillery. We want a slot guy, though. Andy Isabella is definitely a slot guy, in my opinion. Uh, And obviously, that's where Boyd plays. Sure. But in this, if Zach Taylor's bringing this offense, anyone can fit. They'll find ways to get all those guys in, in, as a slot guys. So that wouldn't be necessarily a bad thing. Um, for me, I'd say, you know, I, the obvious choice to me would be quarterback because not only where they're ranked, but I think it's worth a shot now at Drew Locke. Maybe Drew Locke's there in the third round because he smoked a joint before the before the senior bowl or uh, before the, uh, the the combine. And at this point, you're taking a guy that's on the Jay Cutler and Matt Stafford spectrum and that's okay with me in the third round yeah i could get behind drew lock in the third round for sure we've taken will greer at this spot before and i think most people except for uh vance meek have drew lock ahead of will greer in the quarterback rankings and i like greer for a third rounder and if you look at it i like brett ripian for a third fourth rounder also i like tyree jackson fourth fifth rounder so it really is hard to take quarterback here when you know, there's still so many, but I looking at it, I, I think it's, it's it's hard to pass up that value. Yeah, the only other thing, uh, Jerry Tiller would be the guy that I would come back to, but I'm good with taking Drew Locke here. Okay. So we'll go third-round quarterback again. This has become a bit of a trend in Joe's mock drafts and my mock drafts, the ones that we were doing on Mock Draft Monday. But if Drew Locke hits... Even if he doesn't, it's a third-round pick on a quarterback. At that point, you're taking him. He's probably your backup for the next five years. Even if you get rid of Andy Dalton and and Locke is terrible, or you get rid of Andy Dalton and you have a top-five pick next year and you draft a quarterback, Locke is still on the roster and still holds some value. And and we we're having a hard time at this point finding the the fallers at the positions that the Bengals are targeting, which is something yep. that could happen during the draft. This is. It definitely falls a little bit differently on the Draft Network's board than on Fanspeak because of positional value. So you have running backs falling a lot further in the draft, for example. Devin Singletary is still available here now that we're on the clock in the fourth, and a lot of people have him as a pretty highly highly touted running back. Not that we're looking at running back, but just as an example. Yeah, this is a spot where we do start looking at receiver and running back. I think we need to go back to tackle and guard, make sure there's not a guy we can get in and, and, and start. Um, Kayla McGarry to me is interesting. Chuma Adoga is interesting. Those are the last two guys for me that really stand out. Bobby Evans, I think, uh, from Oklahoma, they've had a really good offensive line. Max Sharping. Yeah. Thank you for highlighting him. He's someone I've liked. Uh, go to interior offensive line. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah. So we got Eric McCoy still there. Where are we on now? Rankings or the board? 
This on is the rankings. the rankings. So their predictive okay. board, they, they, for whatever reason, think Eric McCoy is going early. Their, their rankings, gotcha. though, are not very fond of McCoy. They also don't have notes on McCoy yet, so I'm not sure if they've actually watched much of him. Well, can you scroll down a little bit, even on this? Yeah, Lamont Galliard right there, um, Georgia. And I, they got him ranked really extremely low, but I wouldn't be surprised if he starts going fourth round in this range. That's who I wanted to see if he was there or not. There's a uh, Froholt. That's, that's, that's Ryan Coyle's guy. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I think a lot of people are pretty high on Connor McGovern from Penn State as well. I've seen that name yeah, come a, up this week. We are in a um, – a tough position at offensive line. They, their feelings and their rankings are much different than I think what we've been accustomed to. And it's leaving us in a situation where I don't feel comfortable with the guys that are on the board. And I think this, and this is what happened last year, right? They, even though they took a first round guy and even the year before that, the Bengals really haven't invested on the mid and late round offensive linemen because just when you get there, they, they're usually missing key components that you want, or else obviously they'd go higher. Yeah, and this is the reality of the draft. So we're also looking, I think, you know, look at cornerback Rocky Asin still there in the fourth round, I think would be a name to look at. Rennell Wren is still there at defensive interior. I like Kalen Saunders at defensive tackle. Kalen Sanders, defensive tackle, Western Illinois. He's the one that's not allowed to participate at the Senior Bowl, right? Uh, you mean the Combine? He was at the or, Senior yeah, Bowl. The combine. He's, combine. He's, he had a fantastic Senior Bowl week. So we're doing Kalen Saunders here? I'm okay with that. If you're okay with that, I think here's what you're getting in Kalen Saunders. He's a 6'1", 320-pounder, nose tackle, but can move, can pass rush, plays with great leverage. Uh, he showed off a spin move, swim move. He consistently gave people issues uh the only other way i would go other than him is there's one offensive lineman i'd like you to check for me and if he's there it's where i've really leaned on in the mid rounds and it's nate davis from charlotte he should be at the interior offensive line play tackle at charlotte but with near interior offensive lineman and nate davis is not there he was picked just a few picks before the bengals at 79, actually quite a few picks before the Bengals, about 30 picks ago. So with the offensive lineman that we like off the board, we're going to go Kalen Saunders here, take a guy that could have major upside at the interior defensive tackle, interior defensive line position. And we'll see what we get in the fourth, fifth. We're on to the fifth next round. Already on to the fifth round, and we haven't gotten an offensive lineman yet. What would the panic mode be? Four Bengals fans right now. Hi. Right. Red alert. And here we are. The pick's coming up now. Three, two, one. And we're on the board. We are on the board. And we're still looking at Lamont Galliard. We have gone four rounds, Joe, without picking an offensive lineman. Galliard, as you have informed me, was a three-year starter at Georgia. The Bengals like to draft guys out of Georgia He's a finisher. He has good tape against SEC opponents, which is generally considered to be very high quality. What else would you like to add before we select Lamont Galliard from Georgia? Just type in his name on Twitter. If you're not sure who he is, type in Lamont Galliard. That's G-A-I-L-L-A-R-D. You'll get a 
go on to the videos and you'll see a lot of him just finishing guys, torquing guys out of the hole, and that sounds dirty, but you know what I'm saying. I think Lamont Galliard is a, for fifth rounder, potential to be a starter for you down the line, either guard or center. Uh, To me, they don't have him ranked very highly on their machine. They don't have a a report written on him, and that's probably why. I think once they get to him and once more people watch him, uh, there's a chance we could talk about him as a mid-rounder easily locked. Do you think he can play guard? I do. I think you can play guard. I think in this scenario, you take him and you find out who your guard is and who your center is because there's a chance he he could be your backup center for a long time, and that's okay because they could use that behind Price. But I also think he could push Price. Maybe Price is your guard. So either way, I do think he can play guard, but he started three years at center for a good program in the SEC that had a very good run game. So uh, there's no reason why I don't think he can end up playing center in the, in the NFL. Yeah, blocked for a couple of running backs that are going to be starters most likely in the NFL, I think. So we'll take Lamont Galliard here and we'll, we'll seal things off. Hopefully, the best case for, for this is that he is an underappreciated guy. He, he went to the Shrine game, didn't go to the Senior Bowl for some reason, despite being a three-year starter. And, you know, the best case is he steps in and is able to start and Billy Price finds a place to start and then you just have right tackle to really address. So... That would mean that the Bengals have walked away from this draft with Devin White in the first round, Irv Smith in the second round, and then all the linemen kind of evaporated. And we end up looking at quarterback Drew Locke in the third round, which I think is probably pretty unlikely. But if it's not Drew Locke, maybe it's Will Greer here. In this case, we take Locke because he's a precipitous faller in this particular mock draft. Coming into for whatever for whatever reason Locke fell. Maybe let's pretend since we're pretending and mocking anyways. Let's pretend he tears his rotator cuff while working out, right? That and would drop would, him to the third round. And would you take him over Greer if he did that? Well, I think the idea is that if you had him graded as a first rounder before the draft, you would. Sure. Yeah, he's a developmental guy for the Bengals. He's not going to start in year one, most likely. Then we go to the defensive line and Kalen Saunders, the guy that Joe likes a lot from what he saw. At the you trusted me on these last two picks here. I did. But you showed me Lamont Galliard. We looked at some clips and Lamont Galliard does look like a very capable center. He was playing against SEC competition. It's still shocking to me that he did not go to the senior bowl as a three-year starter at Georgia and the offensive line. But it is what it is. We'll see. We'll see what his measurements are at the combine. We'll see how he tests athletically. He's a mauler. We saw him run 40 yards downfield on a screen. He he looks like the real deal. I mean, obviously, we just watched some highlights there, but... The games look like that, too, and you can see him a lot on, on Georgia film. He he will end up impressing you if you watch just even two games. You'll come away saying, yeah, that guy looks like a solid starter. It's going to be... The only thing that they're going to knock him, I think, is people are going to look at his size and average testing. I wouldn't be surprised if he tested average and he's 6'2 and 310 pounds, and you know people look at him and say, okay, he's just... You know, measurables are just average. Uh, but I think this draft, if we if we knew beforehand we weren't going to get a tackle and that's just not going to go there, and you do these 100 times, and teams prepare before the draft plenty of times and do mock drafts themselves with their scouts in their room to try and get an idea of who's there, and they read other mock drafts to get an idea. If you thought you weren't going to get a starting tackle at all in the first three rounds, uh, you better go out and sign one in free agency before you even get to this point. 
that's kind of the feeling I come away with, right? And we, we talked about this around the Irv Smith pick, and it's if you don't have that right tackle signed and you take Devin White at 11 and you get to the end of the first round and there's only a couple guys left that you're comfortable with, you got to be ready to trade up in, in round yep. two. We end up on Irv Smith, and that's fine because, you know, we're thinking we'll get somebody around three. There's some interior guys we like there, and maybe there will be other interior guys that are risers late in the process. We talked about a couple, McCoy, McGovern from Penn State. So, you know, if you're the Bengals and you're looking at your board and you see, okay, there's only two more tackles that I'm comfortable with that I think might be able to play for me in year one, you, you got to move up. And that's where free agency is going to inform the draft. And, yep. and so we'll see we'll see what they do in free agency and we'll see how that plays out in the draft afterwards. Yeah, definitely. It, it would be a scenario like if the Bengals were picking um, 11th last year and they really needed a center, right? And they didn't go get one in free agency. And so you're not going to take a, a center at 11. And let's say they get to the point where, man, you really hope one's there in the second round. And the only guy left was James Daniels, ends up going uh, to the Bears, who owned the eighth pick originally. So I think it was 37 in, in round two. And they'd be left without a center. And so you're not going to reach just because you need one. In that scenario, when you reset for day two, you'd have to really be like, guys, we need to consider giving up next year's second round pick or this year's third round pick, moving up and getting the, getting a guy that we can plug and play right now. Yeah. And that, that becomes much more pronounced if there's no free agency activity. So I, I think we're all expecting some free agent activity at linebacker and a tackle, but if they don't do it, it changes the draft a lot. And that's why I think we hope they do it because it gives them that flexibility in the draft to kind of be more best player available. Definitely. So how would you, how would you grade this draft here? Devin White, oh. Irv Smith, Drew Locke, Kalen Saunders, Lamont Galliard. And they didn't get a tackle. So that's probably their biggest knock, right? I think that's a big knock. And, and I think if this is the way it ends up going, you have to assume that they've signed somebody that they're expecting to start in free agency. If they haven't signed somebody that they're expecting to play tackle in free agency, and this is where they've ended up with. Is uh, Bobby Hart a signing? Are you asking me if that counts? I mean, let's think about it. Let's say they sit out of the top four guys that go. Bobby Hart's like number eight on a lot of rankings. It's that is that the group we're talking about? If they sign Bobby Hart and say, you know, we started him last year, we can be all right with that in their minds. Because um, they kind of did that last year, didn't they? If we're being honest. Yeah. But they also did that at right guard. So I guess you feel a little bit better about the offensive line because, well, I don't know. I don't know if you do. I don't know if you feel better about the offensive line at all after this draft because your first offensive line is in the fifth round, generally fifth round guys. You're not expecting to come in at start, but sometimes you hit. If you look at the last few years, there have been offensive linemen that have been, that have been productive from late day two, day three in their first year. So, you know, you hope you've hit that guy in Galliard if this is your draft. Or to me, know, Christian Westerman maybe is going right. to come in. Exactly what I was going to think is that maybe Westerman saves you at that spot. And if that's the case, um, and I, we just learned last week when we were going over the, of their free agents that because Jake Fisher had that heart procedure and missed eight games, uh, two years ago that he ended up having a non-football injury uh, and going and not getting an accrued season towards his free agency, which would make him restricted. And if they keep him, I still believe there's a chance Jake Fisher turns into a, a starting tackle in the NFL. So there's some things that you would have to be really hoping for, I think. Oh, yeah. You're hoping Huge on hopes. Westerman. Yes. You're, you're hoping on Fisher. You're hoping on Galliard so that you have four guys that you feel okay about on the offensive line. And then maybe you can mask 
you know, maybe, maybe you, maybe you Irv must. Smith maybe helps, hard. right? Irv Smith helps not as much as Hawkinson helps. Right. And I use that argument in my mock for the athletics saying Hawkinson gives you a sixth offensive lineman. And so I'm not going O-line here, but I'm getting them help. Yeah. But I mean, if you're using Hawkinson as a blocker, are you really, I mean, every now and then, sure. But when, when you look at, when you looked at games with Tyler Eifert, when they had to keep him into pass block, you're like, man, what are we doing here, guys? Hawkinson is a better pass blocker day one than Eifert ever was. Oh, sure. I mean, it's just what are you, you're keeping them in though. You're 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 taking the right. weapon. You're away. taking one weapon off the field. Uh, yep, and I completely get that. And you don't. That's not ideal in any situation. No, but it's also a strength of Hawkinson, so you wouldn't want to completely nullify it. True. Any closing remarks here? This has been a, this has been an interesting one. This is why I liked going to the different, the different uh, board, the different machine, the different engine, just because it gave us some unexpected stuff to work through. It definitely gave us some twists and some challenges that were unexpected. But at the same time, we got Drew Locke in the third round. Yeah, that's a that's kind of a coup. Yeah. <laughs> so I, you know, I think this is a B plus. I think there's a lot of names for me. I got the two guys in the in the fourth and fifth round that I really like targets that I would definitely, you know, give them high grades for. So for me, I I wouldn't be able to knock this draft too much. They are draft your good guys players. Draft good players, not position of need. And we kind of did both. Sure. Except- if you can if you can do both, that's great. If you have to bypass the need because there's good players on the board that you selected, no one's going to have a problem in two years. And we sort of did that, I guess, with, with Irv Smith probably being the best player. Yep. And then two. Drew Locke also, because we could have reached for a tackle. Let's just see real quick. We picked Irv Smith over Chauncey Garner-Johnson, who might be higher on some boards. Uh, you know, Elton Jenkins, interior lineman. Could just. Yeah, Yanni could just, who some people have at number 11, apparently. So, and then, you know. Yeah. And then 79 was my guy, Nate Davis. Right. So that's Mock Draft Monday. We'll be back that next is. week with another edition of Mock Draft Monday. Until then, we'll have other stuff to talk about throughout this week. We have a schedule, actually. We have a plan. Which means we get to talk about the NFL Combine. And we're excited for that. Yeah, we'll be talking about the Combine as we learn things each day. And we'll continue our position review. Starting tomorrow is going to be the defensive line to finish up the defensive side of the ball. Then we'll get into the offense starting on the offensive line, which is obviously a position of scrutiny. Then tight ends, and then we're into the mailbag. Our schedule is a little bit altered this week. There was some severe weather in the Northeast that prevented us from recording yesterday. So the mailbag will be recorded on Friday. Uh, We'll be having episodes up and available for you on Monday through Friday night this week instead of Sunday through Thursday. So apologies for the disruption in your listening schedule. We should be back on schedule next week. So until tomorrow where we'll get into the defensive line. This has been the Locked on Bengals podcast. For Joe, I'm Jake. Have a good one. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked on podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. 
Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.